My name is Ross Anderson. I'm one of our teaching pastors here at Alpine Church. And, um, you know, it was just two months ago, it was the 26th of January, that Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna and seven other people were killed in a helicopter crash on a foggy Southern California morning. And um, the outpouring of public uh, remorse and grief was phenomenal. There were in the 10 days that followed the crash, there were 350,000 people that streamed past the uh, Staples Center arena to pay their respects. 25,000 left candles there. There were thousands of individual memorials that were left at that place. There were 80,000 people who tried to get into the memorial service on February, on February 24th. But it's not just when it's a celebrity, it's really when anybody, we feel like they've died before their time, how shocking that is. And you think of Gianna and her two teenage friends who were on that same helicopter that day. You think that as they grow up, they'll never experience high school graduation or a wedding or parenting or, or a career. And maybe some of you can relate to that. You're a Christian and you've had a child who died. Or... Your husband died, your wife died, and they left you without much financial resources. They left you to raise the kids all by yourself, or maybe you know somebody like that. Events like that raise a lot of questions, and those questions can really challenge our faith. We're going, where is God in moments like that? What do God's promises really mean to us when we face those kind of deep, grieving, sorrowful experiences. And today, in uh, John chapter 11, we're going to look at a story today that's a lot like that. It's a story about a man who died in the prime of his life, and he left behind a family who loved him and who was dependent on him. And the fact is that this is a guy who really was close friends with Jesus, and it makes us wonder, how come Jesus wasn't there to heal him? Where was Jesus at this moment of need? Now, in this series, this is the seventh miracle that John records in his series, and we've been looking at all seven, and this is the final one today, and we've seen that these miracles are great acts of God, supernatural acts of God, where he shows us his power and his character so that we would believe in him. And so, really, what we get to in this final miracle, the message of this is, as great as the miracle is that you want God to do, as great as the prayer request that you have made to God that you'd love him to answer, what we're going to see in today's passage is that ultimately the answer to all of our needs is actually Jesus himself. Now, I know that could sound like a very pious platitude when you're going through something really hard, when your life has been ripped apart and your heart's been ripped out. And so we're going to take some time today to explore how it is, what it means when we say that Jesus is our life and how we find our real life, our truest life, our fullest life, not in any other thing or event or person or possession, but we find our life in Jesus alone above everything else. And so uh, let's take a look at the passage. We're going to read in John chapter 11. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And this is the Mary who later poured expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. 
And so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. And so although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. And so what we learn as the first thing that we're going to be confronted with as we look at this story is that when we need a miracle, sometimes Jesus doesn't come. You know, Lazarus is sick. They appeal to Jesus. And in verse 5, it says that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But verse 6, it says something that doesn't quite jive with that. He says when he heard about their need, he just stayed put. He just waited and didn't come to, to come help them. You know, Jesus had healed a lot of people, strangers even. He'd healed people from a distance. But when his closest friends reach out to him, he stays put. He doesn't really do anything at this point. And that confronts us with something that, as Christians, we, we wrestle with in our lives, that we, have, we call out to Jesus with our deepest needs, and sometimes Jesus doesn't do anything about it. I have a nephew. He and his... He and his wife gave birth to a, a baby a couple years ago, and their baby was born with a cancerous tumor. And um, the family prayed. They prayed earnestly. Sally and I joined them in praying for young Thomas, praying for healing or praying for at least some improvement. And he went through several courses of chemotherapy before eventually, on the day after Christmas 2018, young Thomas died at nine and a half months. Now, the Bible promises God's help and God's care. It says in Psalm 121, I look to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. But sometimes we call out to the Lord. We call out to the creator. And in our distress, we look to him. And it doesn't seem like God is helping us at all. And so Jesus could have come when Mary and Martha called, but he didn't. Can you imagine their emotional state, their frame of mind as they see their beloved brother sinking lower and lower and lower in, into sickness and he gets closer and closer and closer to death and they're going, where is Jesus? Where is he? How come he's not here? When is he gonna show up? Now Jesus waited two days, it said, and then it took a few days for him to travel to Bethany where the family lived. And by the time he gets there, the situation has really significantly changed. So let's read about that, starting in verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house Martha said to, the, to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. And Jesus told her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him, I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. And so from this extended conversation that Jesus has with Martha about the death of her brother, what we learn here 
is that our greatest need is not a miracle, but Jesus himself. So Jesus waits. They, he, he comes in. It's really too late to do a healing because Lazarus already died. And Martha, when she hears Jesus coming, she goes out to meet him. She has a few words she wants to share with him. She has some thoughts on her mind about this whole thing. And so, and so she says, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And you almost sense that there's a little bit of recrimination there. She's calling him out. Maybe even partly blaming Jesus for her brother's death. Have you ever felt that way? How often have we had this kind of question for God? He said, you know, Lord, if only you had listened to my prayer, my marriage would still be intact. If only, God, you had showed up, then I'd still have my job. If only, God, you cared about me, then my child would not have died. And so we have these challenges in our life. But Mary, uh, Martha, I should say, still has faith. You can see she says, even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. In spite of her doubts and her questions, she still believes who Jesus is and she's going to keep on trusting in him. And so Jesus then says to her, Martha, you know what? Your brother will live. And she being a typical first century Jewish person, she believed in an end time resurrection when the dead would rise uh, from the grave one day. And so she says, in verse 24, she says, yes, Lord, I know that at the end of the age, my brother's gonna die or my brother's gonna, gonna be raised again. And so, you, but you can almost hear her thinking, yeah, Lord, but what about now? What about today? What about what I'm struggling with in this very moment? See, Martha stands like where a lot of Christians stand. We have these great promises of the future. And they're true. And Jesus is coming back again. And the Bible says he's going to set everything right. And we will be raised from the dead one day. But our loss, our sorrow is so deep and painful right now. What about today, Lord? And sometimes those far off promises and those theological truths can land kind of shallow and kind of flat in light of the things that we're wrestling with in our heart right here and right now. But thankfully, what Jesus offers us to us is even more than those theological promises and those end time uh, realities. He offers us more today. We're going to see this because what Jesus, in his interaction here with Martha, what you see is that he never really addresses Martha's direct felt need at this point. In fact, Jesus changes the whole terms of engagement. He redefines the whole issue and the whole point of the conversation when he looks Martha right in the eye and he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? See, a lot of people look at Jesus as like a great moral teacher or a great example of how to live a virtuous life. But when Jesus makes this claim, this is a far-reaching claim. He says, look, I'm not just going to teach you about how to find the best life. I'm not going to just exemplify how to find life. I'm not even going to just even usher you into life. He says, I am the life. I am 
the very life itself. So here's Martha, and she's reeling over the death of her brother, and, and, and she just wants more than anything else for him to be back and to be there again. The same things we all feel when we're going through sorrow. It's crushed her. It's devastated her. And in this moment, Jesus says to her, Martha, your greatest need right now is not to be relieved of your sorrow. Your greatest need right now is not even to have your brother back. He says, your greatest need is to have me. And that's true when things are going great and when things are not going so great either. That God's promises in our lives are all delivered to us through the person of Jesus. That God's presence in our life is mediated through the very person of Jesus. Now, if you're a parent, you can kind of get an idea of how this might work. Because if you're a parent, then you've had to allow your children to undergo suffering for a greater purpose, right? When your kids are small, we have to hold them in our arms while we allow some stranger to, to stick them with sharp needles into their flesh. And as they look at us with, with tears of betrayal, we wish we could communicate to them how we got to do this so that someday they, they won't ever become sick with that disease. My nephew and his wife, they had to allow the doctors to pump poison into their infant son and, and let the chemotherapy chemicals ravage his body, his tiny little body, because they hoped that that would actually save his life. And so we allow our kids to go through those kind of sufferings because we trust and we hope that the end result is worth it. And in fact, you know what? Whenever you're going through suffering of any kind, isn't that kind of the question that's on the back of our minds? What could possibly make this thing that I'm going through worth it? Well, the amazing thing that Jesus says to Martha that day is he says, as you're going through this grief, he says, I'm worth it. I'm worth it. Do you believe that? That what you really need in your life today is not necessarily a miracle, even though God may choose to do that for you? That whether or not God chooses to heal the person you're praying for or, or whether he steps in to change the situation that you're afraid of or he delivers you from that overwhelming threat, do you believe that your greatest need and God's greatest provision is really Jesus himself. It's really Jesus himself. So a lot of times, <clears throat> then that's why Jesus allows us to go through these challenges and go through these struggles so that we'll come to grips with this fact. Do you believe that? It, looked like, it looks like Martha believed it. Because she says here in verse 27, Yes, Lord, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. She says, yes, I get it. You're st I, I still believe that you're God's representative, that you're still God at work in our world, and I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to give up on you, even though I might have these emotions going on right now. And that's the kind of response that God desires from us, that we come to grips with who Jesus really is and recognize him as God's appointed Savior, and that we would entrust our life and all of our needs to him, not just the circumstances of life that we're in right now, but our eternity as well. And we want to encourage you then today to put your hope in Jesus. Now, 
Jesus has another conversation with Martha's sister Mary that's along the same lines. And at this point, he says, I want you to take me down to the place where you've laid Lazarus in his tomb. And so let's pick up the story there. In, um, excuse me, we'll find it there. Where have you put him, he asked. They told him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept, and the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. So here's one of the most simple but profound statements in the whole Bible. It says that Jesus wept. Now, I don't know if you've ever been comforted by somebody who didn't really get what you were going through. And, you know, they say, man, I know how you feel, and you know they don't have any idea how you feel. And, they, you know, they mean well, and they're trying hard, but their words aren't really very comforting. In fact, they just land flat, and sometimes they can even be hurtful a little bit. Now compare that to Jesus. Jesus is not just some far off distant deity somewhere who's watching you suffer from some ivory tower out in in the universe. But the Bible consistently shows Jesus having compassion on people who are suffering. But not only that, not only does he care and have compassion over the things that you're going through, more than that, he actually bears them upon himself. In Isaiah chapter 53, it uh, prophesies what, what's going to happen? And it says, it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. And it says, see, that, that Jesus takes all of this, all, all of our sadness and our pain and our sickness and our sin and our guilt, and he wraps it all up together, and, he, and God has put it on Jesus' shoulders that when he came into this world, he came to die on the cross in our place for our guilt, for our sin. But not only that, he took upon himself our suffering and our sorrow. He suffers with you in the place where you suffer. He weeps with you when you weep you know this Jesus? I pray that you'll invite him into the core of your life um, today. Now, so far, this is about a miracle, right? Well, so far, we've been all the way through this passage, and we haven't seen a miracle. In fact, we've, all we've seen is the miracle that Jesus didn't do that people thought he should have done. So let's see what happens now that Jesus is standing before the tomb of Lazarus. It's, he says, roll the stone aside But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth, and Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. So what we see here is the, the climax of this whole story is that Jesus has absolute power over death. See, one day every one of us... So, First of all, let me say this, that Jesus, there's Jesus standing before the tomb. He has him roll away the stone because it's not just like a grave. Like today, you dig a grave, you put the casket down, and you fill it back up with dirt. No, they built a tomb by digging it out of a side, a cave out of a, a slab of rock in the side of a hillside. And there would be many benches or niches in there where whole, uh, the whole family, different members, could all be buried in the same tomb. So Jesus says, roll away the stone. And then he says three simple words. He says, Lazarus, come out. And lo and behold, 
the man who'd been dead for four days, he comes walking out of the tomb. So in those three simple words, Jesus demonstrates his power over death. He demonstrates that he is the resurrection and the life, just like he told Martha. And so one day, everybody who belongs to him, every Christ follower, is going to be raised from the dead. In the future, Jesus is going to call us all from the grave. So Lazarus is not just a one-off here, but one day... Long after your death has, uh, your, your body has rotted in the tomb, long after you've been long forgotten by history, that you along with all of God's people are, are going to hear the voice of Jesus calling us back to life again. Now, we don't know how long Lazarus lived. We know that he eventually died, just like all of us do. But what we do know is that when Jesus calls us forth from the tomb one day, that that's not going to be just a temporary thing like Lazarus here, but he's going to call us to new, supernatural, glorious, everlasting, immortal life, a life where sickness and sorrow and death just have no grip anymore. And it's amazing, that's amazing hope, amazing promise that he makes to us. But as we look a little closer at the story here, what we find is that that's probably not even the main point of the whole story. Because as you look at this, you see that the story actually tells us very little about Lazarus himself. Very little focus on Lazarus. Instead, it focuses on these questions. It focuses our attention on these questions that we're asking. Like, if Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, why didn't he just heal him in the first place? Why would Jesus make Martha and Mary have to go through those days of intense suffering and grief? Why would he put them through that? And so, when you look at this story, you see that really the emphasis is not on the miracle itself. The emphasis is on the time between Lazarus' death and the time that he was raised from the dead. And we see that how much focus is put on that. That helps us realize what's really important about this story. Because it's in that space, that in-between space, where Martha comes to realize who Jesus really is. It's in that in-between time where Jesus drives home to her the fact that he is her life. That he is her life. And so, this is what we want to understand, that Jesus allows these kind of things to help us understand who he really is, that he's all that we need. And he allows suffering in our life to bring us to that place and drive us to that place where we realize that for ourselves. You see, what happens is a lot of times when we're praying for a miracle, we really are treating God like he's a means to an end. Right? The end, what we really want is just the result. And, but God is the one that we go to to make the result happen for us. Well, Lazarus' story turns that whole narrative upside down. Jesus is not a means to an end for Martha. Jesus, he's saying, I am the end. I am the whole purpose. I am what it's all about. It's not that Martha's suffering or your suffering has no meaning. It has enough meaning that it brought Jesus to tears. But the meaning of our suffering might not be what we ever thought about, thought it was. It has the same meaning as birth has to motherhood. In other words, the suffering that we go through now is a gateway into a relationship. 
And so if, if what Jesus said is true, that the purpose of our existence is that we have a relationship with him, then when you realize that, you realize the, the point is not a miracle. The point is finding Jesus. No, even more so, the point is Jesus himself, no matter what circumstances might be like in your life. So here we see that Jesus, he reveals himself in this miracle as the resurrection and the life, leaving it up to us to to decide that, that what are we really turning to for life? Where do we really look for our true life, for our real life? Are we looking for that life in some other thing or person or some event or happening? He says, no, Jesus himself is the very source. He is our life. And you you notice something that happens a little bit later um, in the passage. It says, many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw Lazarus raised from the dead. See, this is the starting point of that relationship is that when we come to believe in Jesus, we place our trust in him for our life and for our whole eternity. In that defining moment of faith, everything changes. And if you've never experienced that, we'd encourage you today to to look at our resources, to talk to someone that you know who's a Christian, to find out more about how you can start that relationship with Jesus. Because what Mary wanted, I'm sorry, what Martha wanted was to have her brother back. But Jesus knew that what Martha really needed was him. And that's true for all of us, whether it's good times or bad. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you work in our lives to draw us to be more, to draw us into what really matters, that you allow suffering even in our lives because there's a a greater purpose that goes on. There's something that's better in the end. It's worth it. It's worth it to know you. It's worth it to be in relationship with you. And so we want to pray, God, that you would lead us into that place today. God, we're not making light of anybody's trial, anybody's suffering. Jesus wept with Martha. He didn't make light of of the sorrow that she was going in, but he had a bigger purpose for that sorrow as well. He wanted her to to know, right, that, Father, help us to know, as, as Martha learned, that really the answer to everything that we're challenged with in our life is not just something that you would do for us, but it's you yourself. And so we pray that even in this dark time, even when people are struggling with with this uh, virus, when this pandemic, when people are struggling with the loss of, of their freedom and their normal way of life, and some people are losing their jobs right now, and and we can't do everything we're used to doing, and the economy is going to going to take a hit and all of this thing of all these things going on help us realize God that ultimately the answer is you and so drive us to you today we know you're going to meet us right there and we prayed in Jesus name for his honor and glory amen